I'm Maureen Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. We are in the book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament. Find chapter 2 in 2 Timothy, and I'm going to begin at verse 20. We have two verses here I thought I would cover in the last video, but time got away. So this time, we'll look at these two verses, and then we'll continue at verse 22, toward the end of the chapter in 2 Timothy. Listen now to 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, the imagery that Paul uses here connects back to a theme that we discovered in the previous class. You remember we were talking about doing your best. Well, that's what this is about. You remember back in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, look at the last phrase in verse 21, ready for every good work. The imperative back in verse 15 is reinforced by the imagery in verses 20 and 21. So the main idea is doing your best, having such a heart with purity and consistent purpose. God uses you for every good work. With that in mind, let's explore the imagery that's captured in verses 20 and 21. You know, in our homes, we have some vessels like our best dinnerware, the good china that you get out when you have the preacher for dinner. You may also have in your house or on your property an old wash tub or the dog's feeding bowl. I remember in my grandmother's house, there was over in the corner a slop bucket. That's what it was called loaded with scraps and leftovers for the yard animals. In our homes, there is that distinction between the good stuff and the ordinary stuff, the honorable and the less honorable. Now, this kind of imagery is frequently used in Scripture, earthenware, clay pottery, utensils, etc. And we may be tempted to take all that similar imagery and throw it all together and mix it up and try to interpret all of that at once. That's not a good approach. Each context where this kind of utensil imagery and kitchenware imagery is used should be studied independent of other references. Here in 2 Timothy 2, I believe there's really one central idea. We should be so clean, so devoted to doing our best, 
we are useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. One should not argue from this text, <clears throat> I'll be satisfied to be a slop bucket in the house of the Lord. No, that kind of option is not offered here. The point of this is that our purpose of heart should be focused, devoted to doing our best, to be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work, to be used by God in the highest ways, I must be clean. I must rightly handle the word of truth. I must be determined. I will not swerve from the truth. Let's look at the rest of chapter 2, from 22 down through 26. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here's where I want to start. Here's something all of us know with the highest level of certainty. There is no stage in life when temptation is absent. Once you reach an age of accountability, you come of age, able to discern, make moral choices, from then until death. There's no stage in life when temptation is absent. But here's something else we know from the Bible and in our experience. The devil selects his temptation weapons to match our situation in life. The devil selects his temptation weapons to match our situation in life. Some temptations that hit you and perhaps claimed you in your youth may not be as much of a threat today at your current age or your present spiritual maturity. But there are other temptations that occur now in the more mature years of your life. There is not any age after accountability when the devil doesn't tempt you, but his temptation weapons are selected according to your situation. That said, I think we all know there are the passions and temptations peculiar to youth. And I don't think I need to give examples this is something so real in experience, we know what this is about. We remember how we were tempted in our high school and college days. We remember what attracted our attention in our younger days. Timothy is not a teenager, but in his 20s or early 30s, there remains the temptations or passions he is to guard against. 
be aware of and flee. And being a preacher does not exempt him from the temptations of his age group. Flee is without question a term that identifies two things, knowledge of a threat and movement out of that threat zone, away from that danger. This requires we see the approach of temptation, and this requires that we dodge that bullet, that we run and take flight. But there is another vital part of this response to temptation. After the word flee, there is the word pursue. Here and elsewhere in the Bible, when temptation approaches, flight from danger has to be combined with positive pursuit of what is right. You can't just run from danger. You must run to safety, the safety of righteousness. Christ died for us to have that option. If you just run away from sin, sin will catch up with you. But if you run away from sin to righteousness, then you'll be safe. When you recognize the approach of temptation, you flee from it toward righteousness, along with those who call on the Lord, and you do this from a pure heart, you show that you belong to God and that you're ready for every good work that you want to do your best. I want to read verse 23 from the New International Version. Listen carefully. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid questions because you know they produce quarrels. I tell you, folks, I can't read that without thinking about how so many people use, no, misuse social media. Listen to this message again from God through Paul to Timothy. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid questions because you know they produce quarrels. We talked about this before several times. Some controversy is necessary to respond to false doctrine, to show people the truth, to help people who are being deceived. But there are some battles and debates and arguments that produce quarrels without any redeeming spiritual value. I said to us last time, you have to read Scripture carefully and consistently to be able to discern these useless controversies, then strongly determine you will not participate. Part of the choice to flee sin and pursue righteousness is to detect and deny participation in useless controversy. Next, from verse 24 down to verse 26. First, as it pertained to Timothy, Paul gave these qualifications. First, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. All some preachers want to do is start a fight, stir something up, get people into a battle or debate. That kind of contentious spirit no matter if it shows up in a preacher, teacher, elder, sister, anyone, has no spiritual value 
doesn't take anyone closer to God, doesn't make anyone a better disciple. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Second, be kind to everyone. Now, what example is this based on? Jesus. He was firm, strong, willing to stand up to false teachers and answer deceivers and tell people of their sin, but he was kind. He didn't treat people with coldness, use insults to make a point, gossip, push people into rage or anything like that. He was self-controlled and he knew the value of treating people right. Third, able to teach. Well, we've already discussed this back in verse 2, that there is a certain level of competence in communication a man must have to function as Timothy did, delivering the gospel to people. This is not about scholarly credentials or an academic resume. It is about the ability to take the message that God has given and impart that message clearly to others, apt to teach. Fourth, patiently enduring evil. A preacher must deal with sin, with evil and error, day in and day out. You see it in people. You may encounter it in response to what you teach. You have to have such a disposition that you are able to patiently endure evil, deal with people and treat people in a right way instead of just immediately marking them off. Fifth, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Correction of opponents is necessary, but doesn't have to be ugly, loud, insulting, demeaning. So this is all about attitude, compassion. Kindness must never be absent even when we are responding to the strongest, most ungodly opponents. Now, everything else from the middle of verse 25 down to verse 26 is about purpose. Why must the Lord's servant be this way? Listen, that God may perhaps grant repentance to the opponents of the gospel leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When we encounter opponents of the gospel, when foolish, ignorant controversies intrude, when there are people being deceived and swerving from the truth, our response must be to speak and act in such a manner they will repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. Defeating the opponent is not our aim. Saving the opponent is our aim. That's our study in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 26. And now with a few wrap-ups, it is not by force, but by patient instruction that we can reach and save people. To be harsh, brutal, haughty, self-righteous, and rude only drives people away. We need to be watchful and careful individually, me, you, 
to identify and guard against whatever our weakness is in our personal situation. Whatever temptation weapon the devil is using against us, we need to be aware of that, watchful, careful, self-examination. And obviously, verse 25 indicates how absolutely essential repentance is. We do this work that is described here, do our best, handle aright the word of truth, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that we hope they will follow the rest of their lives. Next time, we'll be in chapter 3. Thank you for listening.